0: Part of being a church, part of being a church family, is that um, it's not just about coming to church on Sabbath, right? It's not just about being here and filling your time card with God, um, but it's also about some of the fun stuff that we do as a community. And one of the fun things that we did last week is um, on Sabbath, on Saturday night, we, uh, we had this game and it's called Jeopardy. How many of you know what Jeopardy is? So, I think there's a conspiracy, however, <laughs> however, um, it, was, it was the um, gentlemen against the gentle ladies, and they were not so gentle, and um, <laughs> needless to say, they won, congratulations, there's a big asterisk for one of the answers, I still... <laughs> um, Anyway, let's pray, dear Heavenly Father. We love that we can laugh together as a as a family, um, albeit even when we're dysfunctional. Lord, we are thankful uh, that we can be a part of this community here in the city of Orange. Um, God, we have welcomed um, Kathy into this fellowship um, in the most powerful way through baptism, and so now, God, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would baptize us as we read Scripture, as we talk about. Um, the meaning of it and, and how it affects our lives. We pray that your Holy Spirit would wash over us, fill us, and that as we open ourselves to you, that we would continually be transformed. Um, there are things in my mind and perhaps in everyone else's minds who they might be distracting us at this moment, and so what we pray for is, um, is clarity of thought and, and fully presence to the word that you have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're not going to mess around this morning. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. And this is what Solomon, perhaps the wisest man ever to live, says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, and by men he means all humanity, humankind, men and women. He has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they, or we, we cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning. Now, when we think of the word eternity... We are tempted to think that that's what's going to happen when we go to be with God for all eternity. And yet what this is telling us here, what Solomon is writing, is that God has set this sense of eternity in our hearts. Let me break this down. Have you ever felt empty? Have you ever felt one of those days where things were just... Um, meaningless, purposeless, like you're just meandering through life and you think to yourself, is this all that there is? Have any of you ever felt that way? I feel like that. Some Actually, not so much lately because of kids, but <laughs> but have we, we feel like that sometimes, right? Like, is this really all there is? Like, is, is, if this is it, then it's, it may not be worth it, some of the hard stuff that we go through. That sense of emptiness that sense like there is something missing, I truly believe God has implanted in us so that we would yearn for something more. Now, here's what happens in our lives. When we have this emptiness, maybe it's a, it's a broken relationship, maybe it's bad time at work, maybe it's a uh, Maybe it's financial debt. Maybe whatever it is, whatever leads you to feel this way, what we do as human beings is we, we learn how to self-soothe. Do you know what I mean? So there are patterns that each one of us kind of gets into to help us through some of this difficulty. So now, the, the ones that you hear preachers talk about all the time is uh, drugs and alcohol, Right? Except that maybe there's not very many people in this church who are struggling with those things, and so it's easy for us to talk about, well, if you go to drugs and alcohol to make your life better, you're a, you're a pretty big sinner and you're bad. And then, but, but that's them. So what I've done is that may be some of the stuff that some of you turn to to soothe, but there's also other things. Have you ever, when things are difficult, you decide, you know, I, I'm just going to go on a shopping spree? and I'm going to spend my money, because who cares anyway, right? Life sucks. Excuse my language. For some of you, it may not be shopping, but for some of you, it may be eating, and you go to Claim Jumper, and you have the biggest dish that they can have, so you can just feel comfort. Uh, For some of you, it might just be sleeping. You sleep, because that's the only way you can self-soothe and fight comfort Others of you, it might be plopping down in front of the television and just watching hours and hours of TV just to find some escape or relief. For some of you, that TV watching may be sports. Uh, For other people, it may just be like social networking, right? Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, that kind of stuff. Um, For others of you, it might be music. You just listen to music to try to self-soothe. Are you getting what I'm trying to say here? Each one of us have these mechanisms that we kind of keep falling back on that whenever things get tough we revert to some of these things because these are the things that are gonna get us through here's the problem when we look at the text it says that jesus or that god has placed eternity in our hearts which means that all of the things that i just mentioned are what are they eternal or temporary You see, there's a fundamental problem that when we have this restlessness, this ache, this pain, there's something in us that is just turning and saying that there's got to be more. What happens is we oftentimes, and maybe not all of the time, but we oftentimes turn to temporary things to soothe us, and they may work, yeah? Because you keep going back to them. We, myself included, keep going back to these things that make us feel better but the feeling is momentary and temporary. The way that you and I were created is with this sense of eternity, this sense of what else is, what is the only thing that is eternal in this world? In this life, whatever. Who? God. So we have built into us this thing, this innate yearning for something that is eternal, and the only thing that can truly satisfy our hearts is who? God. God. Except that when you've tried that, does it always work? No. Have you ever had such a difficult time that you just, and you come to the scriptures and you're reading and you're reading and you're praying and you feel the same exact way? Has anyone else experienced that other than me? But what happens, I think, that when we do those kinds of things is we want that momentary feeling. We may go to God, but we're just trying to soothe our momentary affliction. See, when times get tough, we tend to revert to the things that we really hold dear to us. For some of us, it's, it's not always God. You see, to truly come to God when times are tough is to know that you've been coming to God even when times were good. Does that make sense? See, we, we expect that when things are difficult in our lives, we expect for God to just step in and fix everything, except that a lot of the times maybe we haven't put the time investing in our relationship with God. Is that true? So it's not that God is not enough, it's that we want to temporarily soothe ourselves in the moment, and as soon as we get our fill, then, then we move away and we go on to the next thing. So here's my best example that I can give about investing our time in God. And we have to always use relationships because that's the only ones that we can really relate to. Um, when, when Kim and I started dating, um, we lived three hours away from each other. And so um, she would come down, like on Saturday, she would come down for the weekend and stay with a good friend of ours who opened her house to Kim because she knew that we needed to spend time together and be friends and get to know each other and date and fall in love. And so they opened her, their house to her. And so Kim would come down twice a month maybe, at least once a month, in the very like you know, in the near beginning, and so we would talk, we would get to know each other. What ended up happening though is that if when you start falling in love, when you see somebody twice a month, is that enough? So what I started doing is that I would, our small group after our small group Bible studies on Thursday nights, they would end around eight thirty or nine, and then I would get into I would get into my car and I would drive you know three hours. I would stay at my best friend's house in the morning. I would ki- I would pick him up and we would drive the three hours through the desert to get to the Imperial Valley because I wanted to spend every moment that I could with her. That was hard. Driving six hours within like a 24 hour time span and then I would do it to bring her back. I would stay at my friends or my parents or my sister's house wherever and then I would drive back that same, that, that same day or the next morning. It was hard. My car has taken a toll. I've had my car for three years, and I just hit the 100,000-mile mark. Not just because of her, but <laughs> we drive a lot. Pastors drive a lot. <sighs> See, the thing is, when something is truly important to us, we're going to make the time and the effort to connect to the people, and in this case, to God. It's not just enough that when things are bad, okay, God, now help me. I got my fix. Now I'm moving on. That's not enough. And the reason maybe you don't feel God's presence right away is because you don't know how to listen to the voice of God because we haven't spent the time even just in silent prayer with God. Does that make sense? And so there is the sense of eternity in our hearts. And what happens is we try to fill it with all sorts of other things, and they don't work. And so we go on to the next text, and you're going to see how we're going to make sense of this. We're going to tie it up in the very end. And um, and it says this, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. If you're anything like me, you would ask, but how do I lay up my treasures in a place where I can't get to? Right? How do we do that? We talk about it, and we kind of settle on, hey, just don't like the things of this world too much, and you'll be okay. Like, that's what, but it, but it means so much more than that. To truly understand, the, oh, to truly understand this, though, and I've had two weeks to work on this, so <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to, to better understand this, um, we have to understand that the, the, the worldview of the Bible writers over 2,000 and 3,000 and 4,000 years ago, all right? So this is, it's called the three-tier world of reality, right? So there's three levels. The first level is heaven, and, and it was, if we're standing here, and this was, you know, thousands of years ago, when they thought about God, God is not here, God is somewhere up, above, right? So if God is above, then good things come from above. That's where good is. Now there is the earth, the middle, where people, where you and I live and move and walk and have our being. And if God is above, what would be the opposite of that? Down is what? Is bad, evil, Satan. Okay, so this was the world they were working on, except that there's a flaw in this understanding. Up is really all around, right? Because if, if we're on an earth, we're, we're on a sphere, we're in a globe, so up, it kind of is all-encompassing but you can't go down. Do you see what I'm saying? Down, devil is not down, because if you were to keep, like if we were to keep going down through the earth, where would we end up? We would fall off the bottom and keep going up. We use this language, right? Our Father in heaven. But the reality is, God is all-encompassing. We find ourselves alive on this earth. Devil is not below. Where is evil and devil manifest itself in? On earth. Now, would a good God who loves us dearly and gives his life for us, would he be content to stay above, somewhere far and distant? Or would he get into the mix and battle evil here where it matters? Does that make sense? You see, we seem to think about God somewhere far away, except that the Bible doesn't teach that God is somewhere far away. This is how they understood the world, but it was like, actually, no, God is present here. When we talk about miracles, is that happening somewhere far away, or does it happen here? A couple of weeks ago, I have to share this story, and I was just reminded, um, there was a lady in a coma, and and, I, and this is the first public time I've talked about this. And I got a call, and I said, "Okay, I'll go do the anointing." Wasn't looking good. Now I've anointed two people before. The first person passed away that night. Not a good track record. The second person, um, is, there's no chance. So you can begin to imagine that when I went, what was going through my mind? Okay, I'm going to go through the. I'm going to go through the steps that we do when we anoint somebody who's sick. And so I called up Imars, the head, one of the head elders of our church, because um, I had been talking to him. I said, let's go. I need you to come with me. Mind you, this was people we had to talk to in Spanish. Imars doesn't speak Spanish. So he prayed in English. And then I prayed in Spanish, and we did the service, and we did the thing. Um, and, and then the next day, uh, I got a phone call. Um, that She was awake. And she wasn't supposed to talk, and now she's speaking somewhat. Right? And she wasn't supposed to walk. I don't know, is she walking? No, okay, well, we could hope. <laughs> I got that call and instantly I called IMARS because I think maybe somewhere in our hearts, IMARS and I were like, we're gonna lift her up to God, we're gonna do the best that we can, but maybe there's not that much hope. I don't know, IMARS, what you were thinking. But I've had enough experiences where when I've prayed, even though I believed, I prayed for my aunt on her deathbed. And it was me and three other nuns, which is a story for a whole other sermon. But we were praying earnestly and earnestly. And I yearned and I felt and I cried. And it was when I had just become a pastor. I mean, I was, it was one week before starting my official pastorate. And, and she passed away. And I thought, so when you see this much death, I think, Maybe the prayer is just for us because obviously it's not changing anything. And then I get this call that changes everything. To which I ask you, is God somewhere far away? And a lot of the problems that we have, is it God that has to fix them or is it something that you and I can fix? Like, is it, can you and I, like, enter into somebody else's life and help to shoulder their burdens. God is not somewhere far or distant. That's a, that's a Greek Western way of seeing the world that God is somewhere far in a perfect, better place, and we are here in a bad place. That's, that's Greek philosophy, hundreds of thousands of years, uh, hundreds of years after Jesus. That's not biblical, that's philosophy. The Hebrew way of seeing the world, the Old Testament way of seeing the world, is that God is present with us constantly, walking alongside us, which is why the Old Testament heroes, the Bible heroes of the Old Testament, is people who did what? Who walked with God. How can you walk with God if He's somewhere far? Are you beginning to see that for for the God of the Bible, when they would say things like, we walk with God, that was revolutionary because for all of the other pagan nations, their gods live somewhere in the heavens. But for God, when he comes and he intervenes, remember the story of Abraham when he's going to kill his son, Isaac, and he stops him, that was revolutionary because back then the gods did not mingle with humans, but our God. He can't stay away because we are his creation and he will not leave you. So the question becomes, if God doesn't leave, why do I not feel his presence sometimes? Because we don't take the time to connect. And so it says, do not store for your treasures on this earth, but store them up in heaven. But if we understand that God brings heaven in the sense of his goodness comes and dwells among us, then... What is fair to say is that to store our treasures in heaven or in things that are eternal is that we should invest and put our time in the things that will last into eternity, which is what? God and who? Each other. God will take us to be in eternity with him. Will we have Bibles? Will we have footballs? Will we have all this other stuff? Probably, I don't know, probably not, I don't know. I know I don't know what eternity is going to be like, I really don't know. The Bible says very little about what eternity is going to be like, except that God will be there with who? His people, with us. And so we keep going, we keep going. We, we, oh, we got plenty of time. Let's go. Matthew 6, 21. Uh, where your treasure is, There, your heart will be. So, this doesn't become a thing about is your treasure in heaven or is it on earth, but rather it becomes what do you value in this world? This is what this text is really about. What are you valuing? Are you valuing material possessions? Are you valuing money? Are you valuing big homes and big cars or nice cars? Are you valuing the latest fashions? Or do you value what will be eternal and will not rust, which is do you value the people in your life? Do you value your family? Do you value your friends? Do you value your coworkers? Do you begin to see that Jesus' message has less to do with heaven and hell or earth, but it has to do with what is truly important to you? Look at your life right now. What is the thing that causes you the greatest concern? I mean, what is the thing that you are most worried about? If it's the material stuff, there—that is what I have heard somebody call a poverty of ambition. If all you care about is getting um, monetarily ahead, if all you care about is making more money, that is a poverty of ambition. Real ambition is when you go and you immerse yourself in the lives of people who actually need your help. Now, kind of give you a story. Um, <laughs> about myself. I, um, I like buying watches, except that I can't afford very expensive ones, right? So whenever there's a deal, like 50 or 60% off, well, at one time when there was a deal, I got this watch that I really liked, and it was um, a watch I had been eyeing for like two years, and the day after Christmas, <laughs> I found myself at the mall, and I, the, I convinced the guy to give me his 60% off. It was 40% off, but I said it was too expensive, and he said, well, I'm not going to use my discount. I'll give you my discount. Okay. So I paid like nothing for this nice watch that I had. Well, then two years later, um, Kim and I were walking in the mall, and I see another sale, right? Because um, I used to buy watches, but they were the cheap ones that would die after a year or two. And so I saw this watch and I said, I have to have this, okay? And um, you know, and she being a good person that she is, she goes, well, you know, it's, that's your money. This was, this was pre-engagement. It's your money. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and I looked at it, and I looked at it, and it was like 40, 40 or 50% off. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be married soon. Oh, yeah, I, w- I was already going to propose. I'm going to have kids. I'm not going to afford it. I'm going to do it. And I went for it. Um, but then I had two very nice watches. Um, and I could never decide which one to wear because I liked both equally. And so what I started doing, and, oh, man, this is, you guys are going to judge me. And what I started doing is I would if I if I came up to visit my family for a day or two or visit Kim, I would get one watch and put it in my backpack and so then I could have two different watches to wear at any given time. <laughs> Depending on my shoes, I don't know. <laughs> well, one day I remember I, I put it in the backseat of my car, like in the little thing, you know, and um I there was I had to get my car washed and so I take it to this place, this car wash place. And um and then they go missing it went missing. And then I thought, oh, you know what? Maybe I left it at Kim's house. You know, maybe it got, you know, moved around. Because I looked everywhere in my place, and it was nowhere, I mean, I looked everywhere, even in places it wouldn't be. And I said, maybe it's at Kim's house. Um, When she moves, it's going to come up. It's not a big deal. That's even what she told me. It never came up. It's gone. And this is a really bad story, but I had an almost physical reaction because I was upset that this watch was gone. It's a dumb story, I, I know. But I know that we can relate to this because we've all lost things. I also lost an iPod at this probably same car wash. I don't know why I keep going back. Like, I argued for them that they didn't do it, but there's nowhere else. I interrogated the kids. They don't know where it is. I valued it probably more than it was worth. It's caused, like, inner animosity in my heart over a thing that tells time. Now, that's one example of putting our treasure in things that aren't really that important. It's not the physical stuff that God is needing us to care for. It's the people who are around us, and it is about him. Now, this is a picture, and it says, we are all witnesses. This was taken, I guess, three months ago. Some of you may know that's a picture of LeBron James what the Cleveland um, city, they dubbed him King, King James, as in King James Bible, but that's his last name, James. Now, I think it was five years ago, he came to the city of Cleveland to play basketball, and they had I mean they had literally said, this is the guy who will take us to the championship. This is the guy. He's like 18 years old out of high school, and he gets drafted to play for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Five years later, I think... This was on a building, by the way, a huge building in Cleveland. Do you see on the top left, there's like a little scaffold of some sort, and, there, and you see just brick? The day after he announced that he would be leaving the Cleveland Cavaliers to go to a team in Miami, the Miami Heat, the city, I mean, they put all of his stuff on sale, 50%. I mean, it was horrible. It was bad. They literally, I mean, they crucified him, and, and then they took this, this image of them taking down the picture of this guy who, in essence, would be the savior of basketball in Cleveland. I mean, if you had seen the coverage on ESPN or even, like, regular news, it was like people were, like, devastated. Now, I'm not saying that sports are bad because I watch my share of sports, and I watch my share of, you know, I love going to sports and stuff like that. It's, not, it's that these, these people placed all of their everything into this man, and when he left... People were devastated. And I took a picture of it because I knew that it would, it would be important one day. And then Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is Jesus calling God to do? That his rule and his reign would not be somewhere far, but that it would be manifest itself here on earth. And what is the way that we see God's kingdom on this earth? It's when you live as though God, or as Jesus, is Lord of your life. When Jesus is Lord of your life, you will live your life in such a way that you will bring pieces and bits of the kingdom of heaven now. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven not as something distant, but as something present. And we all fail. I fail at letting Jesus be Lord in my life, and I am well aware of when it happens. But this is not, it. I, I failed and now I give up. It's we have to keep moving forward because the gospel forgives us of the sins that we have committed, no matter how bad they are. And that might seem like a cop out. Well, I've never killed someone. Does God still forgive murderers? Yeah, He does. It's in His nature. You may not, but He does. And so we th- we talk about and just give me a few more minutes. Yeah, are we still good? We I mean, need uh, citizens of heaven. We there's a song that says um, I'm just passing through, something like that, right? Like I'm just a passing through. This isn't my home. I'm going home. Some I don't I don't know the song very well, but it's the idea of this world isn't home. I'm a citizen of heaven. Except that we just finished talking about how. It was a worldview that we realize isn't necessarily the way things are. And so Paul writes in Philippians 3, you can just read it with me, it says, For many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, this isn't physical stuff is just bad. It's when you are searching for things that are like an immediate fix, When you search for the temporary things to soothe you, to give you comfort, that's what Paul is talking about. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Now, to think about belly, it's just when you eat something and you're hungry, it's instant gratification, right? So Paul is making an issue, not about food, but about when you go to satisfy your immediate needs right away, he goes, you're glorifying only in yourself. I've had to teach, well, Kim and I consistently have to teach the kids that um, instant gratification isn't the way to go. And so the smallest one, the seven-year-old, Gavin, he, he's into sports, and he always wants new, bat, like new soccer ball, new football, that kind of stuff. Um, but he has an allowance. And so I tell him, I am not going to give you the loan so you can buy the ball. You have to save up your allowance. You know, you have to delay gratification. Now, he's seven, so, you know, I don't know if it really makes sense to him. But I tell him, I I try to explain to him, don't go for the instant gratification all the time because that's going to get you in trouble in the future. I've been there. I know what that's like. Paul is saying when you want the instant gratification right now, right away, he goes, that's a temporary fix. And then he says, Glory in their shame, which is a way, a biblical way of saying shame is sin, and so you just go for whatever you want, whenever you want to, it's even if it's sinful, but you don't care because it makes you feel good. And what happens is when you live only for yourself, you're, you're it says your minds are set on earthly things, which is you don't, you're not letting Jesus reign in your life as Lord. Now, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, remember, good comes from above, bad comes from below. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. But our citizenship is in heaven. God is not far away, though. Again, what this is trying to get the point across is don't just live for yourself. Because when we start talking about heaven, it's very easy for us to disengage with stuff. And and it's like, well, you know, heaven is coming. One day we're going to be in heaven. And it kind of delays our responsibility. But for Paul, he says, no, the fact that your citizenship is in heaven is that God is calling you to live in a certain way now. That's why Jesus says to God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. In heaven. Earth is where you live. Earth is where we are. And we are responsible to live in a way where Jesus is Lord. And I believe I have, yeah, let me just read this last part. There's two more verses. It says, I do not, this is Jesus talking. He's teaching, or rather Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says, just give me five more minutes, guys. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. That's what all of us want sometimes. I just want to get out of this place. I can't wait till I get to heaven. Usually we say that in response to when things are going bad, right? But Jesus says, do not take them out of this world, but oh, but that you but rather keep them from the evil one. Keep them safe from the evil one. While we are on this earth, you shouldn't be, don't just be wishing to get out of this place. It's guess what? We are called to be witnesses here, not in heaven. In heaven, everybody's already gonna believe, right? You are called to be a witness in this time, in this place. And Jesus says, don't take them out of the world. Keep them safe from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And here's what he says. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Just as you sent me, I now send them. So it's not your job to retreat, but rather you are supposed to go into the world and be a witness. That's where our witnesses are needed. But when we, we, when we worry just about ourselves... We no longer witness to God, we just live for ourselves, and what happens is we store our treasures on this earth because what we value is just us. This is a teaching that we must value God above all things. Now, you're not always going to value God above all things. You're not always going to do the right things. We're going to fall. We're going to sin. We're going to mess up. But it doesn't mean that you wallow in the sin. It's that you have to get up and continue to move forward because God is still relying on you to be his witness. He's not looking for a pity party. He's looking witness, witness, witness. And the very last text is this. Paul says this. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. He goes, so I know what it's like to be poor, and I know what it's like to be rich. I know what it's like, okay? He says, I I have learned the secret of being content in in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. And what was that secret? Was it that he knew the Bible really well? That he knew all the laws? Or was it that he says, I... I have decided to know Christ, and Christ crucified, and that's it. He lived his life in a way where he told other believers, do as I do. (laughs) You know how much pressure he must have had? And yet we know he still sinned. We know he wasn't perfect. But he purposely and consistently tried to give glory and honor to God in all things. This is a sermon about whether you value God above all things. And even if you don't, even if there's times when you value yourself more, there is always an opportunity to die to yourself in the sense of it's not about me, but this is about what God is calling me to do. If you live your life trying to give glory and honor to God, in the end you will succeed at being the witness that he is calling you to be.